Welcome to the Dream Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us on our mission to see on earth as it is in heaven, in Columbia, South Carolina, and throughout the world. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Song of Songs 2, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. You can read it from whatever translation you want. Uh, It's on the Bible app if you want to follow along with me in this translation. Here we go. Uh, Verse 1, I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm just read the whole thing. I'll go back. I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love, growing in the valley. That that is a that I mean, you could preach 45 sermons off of that right there. Growing in the valley. Just, if you haven't been here, just to review, uh, the shepherd king, which is Solomon, is is prophetically representing Jesus, and the Shulamite, the woman is prophetically representing us. So this isn't just a book of, you know, Solomon writing to the love of his life, though that could, you know, be great. It's a prophetic book of Jesus writing to us. And I'm not going to go back into everything, but all throughout history, the church has held this book as the holy of holies within the Bible, the most holy book. And so a lot of us don't get taught this book today, especially in America, um, for whatever reason. Uh, but if we can get the book of Song of Songs, the whole rest of the Bible will start making sense. And um, so anyway, so let me just, I just want to throw that out there before we continue. So verse 2. Yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the curse of sin surrounds you, still you remain as pure as a lily, even more than all others. My beloved is to me... The most fragrant apple tree, he stands above the sons of men. Sitting under his gray shadow, I blossom in his shade. Enjoying the sweet taste of his pleasant, delicious fruit, resting with delight where his glory never fades. Suddenly he transported me into his house of wine. He looked upon me with his unrelenting love divine. Now listen to this verse coming up right here. She asks, she says, revive me with your raisin cakes, refresh me again with your apples, and help me, hold me, for I am lovesick, I am longing for more, yet how could I take more? Okay, in that verse, she asked for three things. This is crucial to the whole rest of the uh, day-to-day. She asked to be revived, to be refreshed, and for more. Okay, so that's what she's asking for. Verse 6, His left hand cradles my head while his right hand holds me close. I'm at rest in his love. Okay, this is Jesus responding to this. Here we go. Promise me brides to be by the gentle gazelles and delicate deer that you'll not disturb my love until she's ready to arise. That you'll not disturb my love until she's ready to arise. In other words, don't even stir her to do anything until she's ready to pay the price that's going to be required to arise. So she asked to be revived, and then he says, hold up. Before you ask to be revived, you need to make sure that you're ready to take the journey to be revived. Okay? So you'll know why in a second. Here we go. Verse 8. Listen, I hear my lover's voice. I know it's him coming to me, leaping with joy over mountains, skipping in love over the hills that separate us to come to me. Let me describe him. He's graceful as a gazelle, swift as a wild stag. Now he comes closer, even to the places where I hide. He gazes into my soul, peering through the portal as he blossoms within my heart. 
The one I love calls to me. And here we go. He's responding to that first request, revive, refresh, and more. And he says, arise, my dearest, hurry, my darling, come away with me. I have come as you have asked to draw you to my heart and to lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. The season of hiding is over and gone. The rains have soaked the earth and left it blossoming with flowers. The season for singing and pruning the vines has arrived. I hear the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth all around you? Sounds a lot like Isaiah 43. The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their wild flowers whispers there's change in the air. Now listen to what he says. He says, arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me, for you are my dove hidden in the split open rock. It was I, I'm almost done, who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship and lovely your voice in prayer. Listen to this right here. This is going to sound really familiar if you've been here at all. You must catch the troubling foxes. Those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship. For they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We'll do it together. Now, this is her response, okay? She says, revive, refresh, and give me more. He says, I've come as you have asked, and the way I'm going to do this is call you to where I am, to arise. Then she responds like this. I know my lover is mine, and I have everything in you, for we delight ourselves in each other. But until the day springs to life and the shifting shadows of fear disappear, turn around and ascend to the holy mountains of separation without me. Until the day fully dawns, run ahead like the graceful gazelle, and skip like the young stag over the mountains of separation. Go on ahead to the mountain of spices. I'll come another time. That's, th- this is the most crucial uh, chapter in the whole book of Song of Songs. This dictate the re- This dictates the rest of it. Where she is is she's in a moment where she said, let him kiss me. Chapter 1, let him kiss me. Uh, do whatever you want to do with my life. I've tended my um, brother's ministry vineyards, but I haven't tended the vineyard within. In other words, I've done a lot of stuff for other people, but I haven't done anything for myself. Watch the camera. And uh, Kyrie, I saw that. Um, (laughs) And anyway, so she hasn't tended the vineyard within. She's burned out. She's lost. But she says, now I'm at the place where I'm ready for you to come and do whatever you need to do to me in order to fix the vineyard within. Chapter 2, she says, I am the theme of his song. And then she goes on to request, I need you to revive and refresh me 
because I'm longing for more. Sounds really familiar. If you go to any church across America and ask anybody, would you like to be revived, refreshed, and would you like more? All of them would say, yeah, that sounds great, right? So we, we all, everybody wants revival. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that we cry the most, especially in our generation. Revival, revival, revival. And I love revival. I think we should have revival one time. I don't think we should ever need it again. You know what I'm saying? Like, revival. The, the reason we cry out for revival is because we'll let him spark us and we'll burn for a few days and then we'll go back down and we'll stop burning and then we'll start crying out for revival again. That's what revival means. Revival means to revive something, to leave something better than it was before. That's the Webster's definition of revival, okay? To revive something. If you've been revived, you should be living, right? If somebody's dead and they're revived and they come back to life, are they dead? No. That's why I say, so revival should happen once. I, so I, um, and I, sh- I meant to put this video up. It's been the craziest morning. I'm not going to give the devil any glory, so I'm not even going to go into how this morning's been. But it has been a wild morning. And so I, uh, I got this fire pit for Christmas. Ever since I had a baby, I just want to be like a, like a country dude. That's like all I want to be. It's weird. And so um, if you, when you have a kid, all I want is a farm, a truck, and a fire pit. So uh, and, and a horse, and a horse would be great. So anyway, so anybody's getting rid of a horse, let me know. Um, and about 20 acres. So um, so I, I got this fire pit, and so uh, Jordan makes fun of me. But anyway, so I'll sit out in my front. You know, we, we live in a development, and so, like, you know, there's no woods anywhere. And so I got on my front um, driveway, uh, got my fire pit, and I'm sitting out there, and I'm facing, like, our house to try to just picture I'm in the woods. Um, but then right behind me, there's cars going by, and they probably think I'm crazy. Jordan thinks I'm crazy. But anyway, so I'm building this fire. I'm, like, chopping the wood, all that stuff, and the fire's going, and it's just, like, blazing. I feel so proud of myself because this thing looks great. And uh, so, that, of course, then I'm taking, like, videos and pictures because I just need to make sure that everybody sees that I did a great job on a fire pit. And I, uh, I'm sitting there, and the Lord uh, begins to speak to me to go around my yard and pick up. He wanted me to pick up leaves. He wanted me to pick up twigs, and then he wanted me to chop some more firewood. So so I go pick up everything, and I'm sitting there, and he says, all right, I want you to throw the leaves in the fire. And I was like, cool. So I take some leaves, I toss them in the fire, and immediately, this is when the fire starts going down. So immediately, as I toss these leaves into the fire, they ignite, and it's just like this big, just boom. And there's a fire, and about three seconds later, gone. Nothing. Okay. So I was like, well, that's cool. And then he said, all right, now take the twigs, throw it in the fire. So I take the twigs, throw it in the fire. They immediately light up, and they stay burning for about 15 seconds and then go out. And then he said, now throw the last piece of firewood in. So I throw the piece of firewood in. That thing lights up, and it burns for about 30, 45 minutes after that. And so I'm sitting there, and as this thing's burning, and now I'm waiting for it to burn out, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this, and the Lord begins to speak to me about what kind of sacrifice I am. Which thus, I'm gonna, what kind of sacrifice we are. In Leviticus 9, one of my favorite passages, a lot of y'all have been avoiding Leviticus. There's some good stuff in Leviticus, okay? Leviticus 9, see, if we are the temple, if we're the temple, this is, this is going to be something y'all, y'all take home with you right here. This is free. This ain't even part of the message. You ready? If we're the temple of the living God, we should probably understand how the temple operated. Just take that home. All right, so Leviticus 9 they prepare everything. 
The presence of the Lord falls in the holy place, and when it falls, it sends out fire. Some of y'all were here in the theater when I taught on this. It sends out fire to the burnt offering altar, burns up the burnt offering, and then they're given the command, never let that fire go out. So the priesthood, they're, one of their main jobs, and the burnt offering, I don't, if you just Google, you can see pictures of what it probably would have looked like. But the burnt offering altar was outside. It was out in the open. So he is, well, first off, obviously, you're not going to have a fire burning inside, okay? But the, the command to never let that fire go out was a command giving with full knowledge that at some point it was going to storm. At some point, there was going to be wind storms and rain. I don't think they get snow over there, but there was going to be many opportunities for this flame to go out. And their job as a priesthood was to give their lives to make sure the flame that came from the presence of the Lord and burn up the offering never goes out. And today, our calling as people of God is not to be pastors and, you know, evangelists and prophets and apostles. All that stuff is great, but none of it compares to what we're called to, which is never let the flame go out. And if you never let the flame go out, he'll start allowing you to inherit positions like pastor, prophet, apostle, people around you that you work with will start getting saved because there's something burning in them. It doesn't matter what kind of wind comes their way, it still burns. Like this morning, when I get here and things are going chaotic, I'm in the car, I'm driving to Walmart to pick up space heaters, and I keep telling, I will not let this flame go out. As the wind is blowing, he who built his house on the rock was like the one who built it with a foundation that when the rain and floods came, it did not move. Built his, built his house on the word. So, uh, Leviticus 9, the fire comes out of the presence of the Lord, burns up. They say, never let the fire go out, or they're called to never let the fire go out. If you skip ahead to Romans 12, what are we called? Living sacrifices. So I think this is Bill Johnson, but somebody came up with this a lot smarter than me. But it's the phrase, and I'm sure you've heard it if you've been at church at any point, that fire always falls on sacrifice. Okay. So he, he's looking for sacrifice, which is us. We are living sacrifice. He's looking for a sacrifice that he can send his fire to burn up. So what kind of sacrifice are we? All right. This all, this all has a lot to do with what we're talking about. Are we a sacrifice that comes into a service or into a conference or into a moment, or maybe listening to a podcast, and in a moment, you're lit up, and you're burning hot. I'm going to take on the world. If this costs me everything, I'm going to give it all. I'm not going to tie 10%. I'm going to tie 50%. I'm going to tie 100%. I'm, I'm ready to go. And then you go back home, and the next morning, you wake up, and your alarm goes off that you set to spend time with the Lord, and you're sleepy, and you start pressing snooze, and all of a sudden, that flame just starts getting softer and softer softer and then you get to work and your boss screams at you for something that you didn't do and all of a sudden the flame's gone that's how most that's how most of us are right 
that so the reason we ha- we the reason that we have to do church services that every single week are about salvation is because everybody's coming in bone dry. Nobody's burning when they get in. Right? My job is not to light you up every week. My job is to teach you how to tend your flame. And I can't be what I'm called to be, and you can't be what you're called to be if every time we get together, I'm having a light a match to you. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel that pressure. When I'm, when I'm writing sermons, I don't feel like I need to come up with a good joke and a good hook and a good video and all this stuff so that when you leave, you're emotionally charged. I don't feel the need to get you to a place where you got goosebumps all over you and you're willing to give up everything. I don't need to get you to that place. I need to teach you how on Monday through Saturday and Sunday, you tend the flame of your life. It looks boring sometimes. It looks uneventful sometimes. But it will keep you in a place where every single time the wind comes your way, you're still burning. And I used to dream, I was telling somebody this this week, I used to dream about having a church that was in an arena and these huge crowds, people standing in line. You know what I dream about now? Making sure that I'm as passionate about him when I'm 80 as I am today. That's my dream. My dream is when I'm 80 years old, Veda's grown up, still living at home. Uh, no, it's good. Um, if I have anything to do with it, not married. Um, just kidding. But, but my, my dream, when I look ahead in my life, I, say, I got one goal. When I'm 80, I still want to be burning. And when I'm 90, I still want to be burning. And when I'm 180, I still want to be burning. If you're new, I'm so glad you guys are here today. I told Spencer I had this great idea that we need to have, I, don't, I guess you wouldn't call it life insurance, but a life insurance type policy that when you live past 120, you get a million dollars rather than dying. I, I think that would be a great idea. Um, I'd sign up for that. Hey, Bob Jones, Bob Jones, should I? Bob Jones prophesied, he's, he's an awesome dude, he prophesied what 1950 to 2050 every decade would look like. Do you know the decade, I found this out, this was after last Sunday that I found this out. Do you know what 20, he said 2020 to 2030 was going to be? Now remember, what have we been talking about? Last week the whole message was rest. All last year it was trust, 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 every week, trust, trust, trust. Why? So that you can rest. And he prophesied years and years ago, that 2020 to 2030 would be the age of rest. So, check, got that one right. So, and then 2030 to 2040 would be the age of the family of God, and 2040 to 2050 would be the age of sons and daughters of God, being sons and daughters of God. And then he threw this little caveat in here. I'm not telling you whether or not I agree with it. I'm just telling you what he said. He said around 2030, people will stop dying. Salah. Okay. Some people right now, I'm never going back to this church. Um, hey, if y'all, listen, 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 listen. I, I plan on being here a long time. If y'all want to leave early, cool, go ahead, that's cool. I plan on being here a long time. I need to be here a long time for this thing to work like I intend for it to work. I knew it was going to get quiet right there. It's amazing when you start talking about life and hope, people get real quiet. All right. Uh, the ro- 
verse 1, let me just break this down a little bit. And uh, I like throwing little stuff in there to make you think. So here we go. Uh, he says, she says, I'm his rose, the very theme of his song. Depending on what translation that you're reading, most translations say rose of Sharon. All right? So that word Sharon is a homonym, okay, which is one word pronounced or spelled the same way with multiple meanings. Um, it's a homonym. It has two meanings. It means a plane, like a plane, like in, as in geography. And the other meaning is his song, okay? So Sharon means his song. So to say that she's his rose of Sharon is her saying that she is the budding rose of his song, okay? So she's the beauty or the climax or the theme of his song is what she's saying there, okay? Um, let, me just, let me just point this out real quick, and then I'll get to the main point. Uh, I have personally no issue in my life singing songs to God. We, as a culture, no issue. We'll sing songs to God all the time. But the other half of worship is having an ear to hear the songs he is singing to you. So let me, let me just give you a definition of worship, okay? Not singing. Here's what worship is. Worship is the feeling or expression of adoration or reverence toward God, okay? The feeling or expression of adoration or reverence toward God. So to be clear, it's not defined as singing, though it does include it. Worship is the feeling of adoration and reverence toward God. There is a level of adoration and reverence, so worship, that is only accessible through the ear, not the mouth. Okay. There's, there's all, there is a level, a higher level of reverence worship that is only accessible through what you hear, not what you say or sing. A anybody can sing. It takes a son or daughter to have an ear to hear. The thing that Jesus said more than anything else in his whole ministry is, let he who has an ear hear. That's the thing he said more than anything else. Okay? What he's saying is, is we can talk. I can sit up here and talk, talk, talk. Some of y'all are saying amen. I can talk, 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 talk all day long. But until I get to the secret place and open up my ears and close my mouth, there's only a place in worship that I can get to that I don't believe is anywhere close to where he wants us to be without having an ear to hear. So a lot of times my personal, personal worship looks like silence. And in the moment, I'm inheriting the songs that he wrote about me. If we're the theme of his song, that means he's writing songs about you. So we write songs all day long about God, but what kind of reverence is unlocked in us when we see that he's in heaven all day long saying, mm, Ellington's so glorious, Ellington's so wonderful. Do you know what I mean? There's a level of reverence that is unlocked in me when I know during the week I'm sitting around and we're writing songs about him and we're writing sermons about him and we're doing poetry about him and we're doing graphics about him. And he is in heaven at the same time writing songs about me, writing poems about me. I mean, we are his poetry. That's what Ephesians says, that we are the poetry of God, that we are his unique creative expression in the globe. So what, what do you unlock in his heart that all day long he's just thinking, man, that'd be a great hook to the song about Josh. That'd be a great chorus to the song about Spencer, Aaron, Drew. You know, 
what kind of reverence is unlocked in that? That's worship. It's a back and forth. So that's why in moments we'll sing songs to God, and then there will be moments when we are quiet and just listen. And I know in, in the first, especially if it's your first time, sometimes that can be awkward, especially for people who have never been a part of that. It was awkward for us because we had never led like that when we first started. It can be, but there's, there's something that is unlocked when you just wait, when you just tarry. So he tells the disciples, tarry in Jerusalem. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and then all of a sudden you begin to hear a frequency that you haven't heard before. And it unlocks something in you that cannot be unlocked by simply saying how great is our God. We should be saying that. But then when you go beyond how great is our God and then have the ear to hear how great are you, there's a marriage that comes together that I believe is the actual definition of worship. Are you all with me? Okay. Awesome. <clears throat> so worship in our culture has gotten louder and louder. Literally, I mean, literally, it's gotten louder over the years. Uh, I believe, though, he's looking for people who were there to get quiet enough to hear him release his song. While he is ravished by the song of his beloved, the beloved is never in a position to be ravished by him. So what's one of the most romantic things that we do for our significant other? If you're in a marriage or a relationship, whatever. What's one of the most romantic things that we do? We write and sing songs to each other. Right? At least I think so. I don't know. Because we were designed to be creative ones, made in the image of the created one. The creative one. Excuse me. Let me say this again. Because we were designed to be creative ones, made in the image of the creative one, Jesus, our DNA screams back and forth exchanging of song and poetry. Some of y'all are in the room that you can draw pictures, like you can draw like nobody's business. Can anybody draw in the room? Just don't, don't, okay. You, you don't have to hide, like, it's, it's, you know, it's okay. You drawing is the equivalent to us singing a song we wrote. It's all an artistic expression. And remember, worship is just adoration, the expression of reverence. So singing's a part of it. It's about 1%, 10%, maybe at most of it. So as you are drawing pictures, understand what you're doing is you're releasing your creative expression to the one who is the creative expression. And back and forth, he'll begin to give you pictures in your head. We call them visions. He'll begin to give you pictures in your head that he drew for you. That's what a vision is. When Paul's coming, I had this vision. He didn't see something that had actually happened. He saw a picture that the Lord drew and put it in his spirit. Do you understand this? That he is the creative one. He's the living expression. In the beginning was the word. The other translation, in the beginning was the living expression. And through his creative inspiration, everything came into being and nothing came into being apart from his creative expression. So your ability to hear more than you speak is essential in the place that we're going today, an invitation into new heights. And let me just point out this before I get into my main stuff. She says, I'm overshadowed by his love growing in the valley. 
So a lot of us see the valley as a negative. Right? A lot of us see the valley as a negative. When she is in tune to the frequency of the songs that he writes her, she begins to grow in the place that people despise. The valley. She doesn't say, I'm overshadowed by his love growing in the mountains. In the valley. So let me encourage you today, if you feel like you're walking through a valley, you can still grow in the valley. In fact, I believe most of our growing happens in the valley. Okay. So, in verse 5, she asked, just to, just to kind of go back, she asked to be revived, refreshed, and is longing for more. He then makes the statement that the Shulamite, us, shouldn't be dis- disturbed until we are ready to arise. In other words, to arise and be revived, refreshed, and filled with more, which is what she asked for, will require an unrelenting faith and trust. So he's saying, be careful asking for something you aren't ready to pay the price to get yet. Be careful when you pray for revival. I learned this the hard way, and I'm still learning this. Be careful when you pray for God to just explode in your life, because in that explosion, he's going to come after the stuff that don't need to be living anymore. You know what I'm saying? So if you aren't ready to release some stuff, I'd be really careful praying for revival. Because he's coming after the stuff primarily that you don't want to get rid of. In fact, he won't move beyond the stuff that you don't want to get rid of until you release them. So people pray, God, provide, 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 provide. And he's saying, I can't throw open the floodgates of heaven because you don't even give. So it's not, it's not that the devil's on your back. It's not that God's not being faithful. It's that you've simply blocked up the floodgates of heaven. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's, that's to me, too. I've done that my whole life. I refuse to give because I don't think I can afford it. And what I'm actually doing is putting a dam building up against the floodgates of heaven that when he wants to release, they can't be released because I have blocked them from coming into my life. It's not the devil. It's not God. It's me. You know what I'm saying? So... A lot of us have been asking for deeper intimacy, okay? And if you've been at Dream, maybe you've not, maybe you've been watching from afar. The thing that we've been asking for since day one is deeper intimacy. That's what we're all about. But a lot of you lately have been asking for that, and he has responded with you losing relationships, losing a job, something going different than how you expected, and you thought that he didn't answer your prayer, I just felt this, as I was writing this week, I just felt a flow in the prophetic. So this is kind of, I'm just giving you what I got, all right? Some of you have been asking for more, 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 more. And the response has been you've lost relationships. You've lost maybe your job. Something in your life has gone different than how you expected. And in response, you thought that he actually didn't answer your prayer. And I'm telling you, he did. He says, in order to have the relationship with me you desire, I'll first need to take care of the idols that kept you from me in the first place. I mean, hear that in love. I, see, when I hear stuff, I'm writing this, okay? So y'all hear it from me. I hear it from him. So when he says stuff like this, it makes me want to crawl under a desk. You understand this? So he's speaking to me, and he's saying, and I'm writing this because this is stuff I have gone through recently. 
That when I pray, Lord, revival, revival, I want more, I want more, I want more. And then all of a sudden, he, he starts coming after the places that I don't trust him. My response is, Lord, I asked for more. I didn't ask for that. And his response is, if you want more, we're going to have to deal with that. So, so let me encourage you today that if you've been praying for more and it seems like you've started losing things, He's answering. He's giving you more. He's moving stuff out of the way so that he can give you more. So getting into something prematurely is always going to end with disappointment. Some some of you need to write this down right. Getting into something prematurely is always going to end in disappointment. Because he loves you enough to only give you the anointing you have aligned your life to handle. Let me give you an example of Super Bowl. So let me just give you this example. All right. If you take a thousand pounds on a squat, is that a lot? That's a lot. Okay. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> so I know y'all looking at me like, man, you should know you're ripped. Um, just kidding. You're thinking the opposite, man. You really need to get in the gym, So, uh, which I do. But if you take a 1,000 pounds on a squat and you put it on me, do you know what's going to happen? Nothing good. Talk about I'll be in the healing room for the next two months. <laughs> right? But who's somebody, who's somebody playing in the game tonight? Because uh, I follow college football. I'm not a Who? Kittle? George Kittle. All right, I guess, is he ripped? Is he pretty ripped? All right, let's just assume. All right, so you take an NFL player, and then you put him on that 1,000-pound squat. Is he going to have trouble? It's still a lot. I know it's a lot. 500? All right, all right, y'all, we're missing the point. Who cares? 40,000. It really doesn't matter. It's all fake, Okay. 500 would crush me. 100 would probably crush me. But you take 500 and put it on an NFL player, and he's going to do it. Why? Because he has trained to be in the position to handle that amount of weight. So the reason the Lord won't drop 500 pounds on you when you pray for it is because it will crush you. So he'll go in your life, and he'll allow you to persevere so that when you have persevered, you will grow into perfection, lacking nothing, James 1, the testing of your faith, so that when he releases in your life the thing you've been praying for, you can handle it. David was anointed king 15 years before he ever became king. Why? Because 15 years when he was anointed before that, he was not ready. He still had the anointing. He wasn't ready. You're anointed to receive what you've asked for. That doesn't mean you're ready for it. There's a lot of people in this room that are anointed to be, you know, pastors or whatever. And can I just say this real quick? There's a lot of people who feel like, man, I'm really called to be a pastor. And my grandpa said this to me, and I laughed at him. And now I'm like, man, he knew what he was talking about. When I said we were going to start this church, he said, I beg you not to do it. So he said, he said, I, he said I beg you. Don't do it. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, of course I'm going to do it. Wait. He was like, no, no, no. If you can do anything else and feel great about it with God, do that. But don't do this. And I was like, okay, sounds like you've been in a, 
rough situation. Let, let, me just, let me just share a little something with y'all, all right? If you feel called to be a pastor, you better make sure you're ready. People can't... <clears throat> I was about to... I was, it's amazing. Let me just say this right here. It, it's amazing how weighty your words are when you're a pastor. Amazing. I'll say some stuff that mean absolutely nothing on stage, and I'll get an email about it the next day. You know what I'm saying? Th- this happens all the time. And, and I say this because if I hadn't been in a position in the secret place to be able to carry this weight, I would have been crushed a long time ago. I promise you. Crushed. But because I was in a place day in and day out, hours and hours and hours, and if you're hearing this, don't feel condemned. This is my problem. I wasn't like this before. Until he showed up in my life and offered me life to the full, and I, because of being in the most droughted, dry, desperate place of my life, looked at the offer for life to the full and said, take all of it. I want that. And the next day started waking up and hours a day and hours a day and hours consuming the Bible, consuming his presence, letting him sing over me. And then he releases me to start this church. And all of a sudden when grenades start getting thrown at us, you know what it does? Nothing. Bring it on. You know what I'm saying? Because I am rooted in the weight that I can handle right now. However, there's other places that the Lord wants to take this church that he will not take us yet because I can't handle that weight yet. And I'm cool with that. There is a weight that we're going to be carrying as a church in 40 years that we cannot possibly carry right now. However, I've never been more convinced that we're on the right path to get to where we're going. So every day, the testing of our faith, you know the other translation of that is trust. The testing of your trust develops perseverance. So every time he comes to deal with my trust, I respond now by saying he's ready to take us another step. And he's ready to take us another step. So if you're in that place today where you've been praying for more and more and more and more and he started taking some things, rejoice because you're on the right path. All right, I I did not mean to spend, spend that long right there, but it felt good. All right, so verse 9, he says this. He says, uh, the Shulamite says in verse 9 that he gazes into my soul, and then back up, he says, he comes closer even to the places where I hide. When she asks to be revived, he immediately goes to the places where she's hiding. This is where she starts getting some kickback, right? I'm okay with him coming after the comfortable places in me, but he always, going back to last week, he always works from the inside out. Therefore, he pursues our hidden places to bring them into revival, knowing if our interior is revived, our exterior will find itself revived. So she says, I'm burned out. Would you revive me? And immediately he goes straight for all the places where she's hiding. She's got to be thinking, listen, when I said revive me, I was talking about let me get some rest. Let me feel better. Let me feel refreshed. And he said, no, no, no. I'm going to take care of the thing in you that got you here in the first place. 
He's always thinking more extravagantly than us. That's the one thing. If I've learned anything over the past couple of years is that his ways are actually higher than our ways and his thoughts are actually higher than our thoughts. Isaiah 55. That when I, I, I pray for God to move in this way, he comes in love in a way that's going to actually let me see up here rather than the place that I even prayed for. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm praying for, I've, I've been praying for, for years for the whole city to be healed and set free. And then he comes in with the answer, I'm actually going to make the whole city set free and healed, but the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to draw all my people back to me. And they won't only be healed, and they won't only be set free. They're going to find a life that is described as life to the full, where I'll also take care of anxiety and worry and stress and homelessness and everything else, because near me, none of that stuff can be. So, so he, work, he works in a way that is higher than our ways, but if we don't trust when he starts moving in a different direction than how we ask him to move, we'll start giving kickback because we think he's being unfaithful. He's actually being more faithful than what we thought faithfulness was going to look like. All right? So, <clears throat> I say this a lot. I don't, I don't believe in dry seasons for the believer. And I know, I know that's like a popular topic today. It goes against everything in Scripture for you to go through a dry season if you are a believer. Hear that? That's not kind of, If you hear anything in condemnation, like check how you're hearing stuff. I hear freedom in that. Man, I don't have. I don't ever have to go through a dry season. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Could it be that what we've called a dry season was actually an interior season? Hear, hear this, okay? If he works from the inside out, all we see as a culture in general is the exterior. We don't care about the interior. That's why you have CEOs that their families can't stand them. They're burned out. They're exhausted. They hate life. The suicide rate for CEOs is crazy. Making millions, right? But, but why do we see this? Because all our focus is is on the exterior. If I can get cars and houses and a lot of people to like me and run this business into millions and millions of dollars, who cares if I'm burnt out along the way? And he's saying, I want your interior to thrive. If you lose everything in the exterior, that's more important to you and me than all that other stuff. How can, how can we as a group of people be happier than people making millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars? Because we have an interior garden that's being tended. Do you understand this? And when your interior garden is being tended, it creates an exterior expression of joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why is it unspeakable? Because you don't know how you got it. I don't know how I got this joy. I just know something in the inside of me is right. And because something on the inside of me is right, I've got joy. So when people start calling you names and people start telling you you're the devil i know by experience when people start saying that and you respond with all right that's cool praying for you that's joy unspeakable and if it's joy unspeakable it's full of glory are y'all with me are y'all still okay okay so i'm almost done i promise and i really mean it this time 
Okay? So maybe what we've called a dry season was actually an interior season. Be careful that we don't have an exterior focus because if we do, we'll doubt he's moving when he's restructuring what you've lost sight of, your interior. All right. Remember what she confessed in Song of Songs 1. She confessed she's been neglecting the vineyard within. Okay? So when she asked to be revived, where is he going to go? Her vineyard within. Okay? Y'all with me? So God always answers your prayers, but he'll always give you what's best. He always answers your prayers, but he'll always give you what's best. Okay? All right. So, so let, let me just give you an example of stuff that I've talked to people. You ask for a better job, he'll start with why you weren't satisfied at the last one. Lord, give me a better job. Give me a better job. Give me a better job. And then the first thing he comes after is, well, why aren't you happy here? I know some of this ain't going to go over great because I, I know the situations we get in. We ask for more money. I, I know I have. And he'll usually start with why we wouldn't give what, with what we had before. Lord, provide, 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 provide. And he said, I want to provide if you'll provide. You ask for a spouse, he'll usually teach you to be a spouse to him before he brings in a person to become an idol in his place. That just felt good. You know what I'm saying? But, look, bring me a spouse. Bring me a spouse. Bring me a spouse. And he's saying, oh, I got your spouse. Me. And if you'll ever learn to be a spouse to me, then maybe I'll release another spouse to you. But until then, it's going to become an idol. So you have people getting married, and then they'll hold their spouse to a level that their spouse cannot be held to because they're actually putting their spouse in the place that God intends to fill in their life. But because they've not let God fill that space in their life, now all of a sudden the spouse is in a position to fail. And I promise you, that's what people, you know, do you do marriage counseling? Do you do marriage counseling? Yes. Song of Songs chapter 1. It's on your Bible app, right? Because I can give you all, I can give you how to, be, how to have a great marriage. I can tell you all that stuff. But the one thing that will fix you is if you fix him in your life. And I promise you, if Jesus gets close enough to you, divorce will start running. If Jesus gets close enough to you, sickness will start running. If Jesus gets close enough to you, the sin in our city will start running. It's not an issue if we have enough church. Me and Ellington drove through the city last week. I promise you there's a church on every block, literally. So people ask, why did y'all start this church? And, and I say this in love, but, but there was no churches in Columbia, right? And there, in other words, there were no governmental bodies, the ecclesia churches in Columbia. And I felt his heart that he longed to rest with a group of people. And there was a lot of places that would let him visit. There were no places that would let him rest. And so I said, if it cost us everything, we cannot outprogram people. Can't. I don't know how to. I don't know how to have the best student ministry on planet Earth. I don't know how to do that. Or kids ministry or even church. We definitely can't outspend people because we don't got a lot of people. But what we can do is say, 
as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And I'm going to give him a place to rest in the city. If it's just me and him meeting every week, that's fine. But I'm going to give him a place to rest. And then what he does is he comes and he inhabits the praises of his people. And then some people in this room start to see things in their life unlocked, not because of a message, but because of presence. The only reason any of these messages ever hit you like they do is not because of me and not because of what I say. It's because there's a whisper sitting right beside you saying, yeah, go a little deeper into that right there. Let me take this seed and put it right here in your life. And then you go home and you'll find yourself thinking about something that I've said or Paul said or anybody else has said over the course of a week. What it is is the Holy Spirit has planted something in you and then during the week he's just watering. He's tending it. And he's making sure that that thing grows in you like it needs to grow in you. But I I long to give him a place to rest in the city. And that's why we started the church. Okay? So she asked to be revived and refreshed. She longed for more. And then he says, I'm going to come after the hidden places within you. And then I'm going to give you an invitation. Now, if you're dry and you're tired and you're worn out and asking to be revived, and then he comes to you and says, let's climb a mountain. What's your response? All right? If you're tired and worn out, and he doesn't come to you and say, let's just rest for the next five weeks. He comes to you and says, here's my answer to you being dry and needing reviving. Let's go walk up a mountain. Let's go on a hike. And I believe the reason that she says, you know what? Go on without me. When all the uncertainty goes away, I'll come with you. The reason she responds like that is because, remember, she's in a place where she needs to be revived. And then when he comes and says, let's go on a hike, she says, that's not good. That's what not what I needed. So I'm going to stay right here and try to figure this out on my own. And so he goes without her. Are y'all, are y'all with me? I'm really trying to get to the point of this, but there's so much in here that I feel like we really need to take hold of. When he does this, is he unfaithful because he gave you what you didn't ask for? Or is he extraordinarily good because he gave you what you didn't ask for? Let me ask you this, all right? Trick question. Let me ask you this, all right? When he does this, is he unfaithful because he gave you what he didn't ask for? Or is he extraordinarily faithful and good because he didn't give you what you asked for? See, how how we respond to this will determine the rest of our lives because all of our lives as Christians should be living by faith, right? Right? Faith is everything. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to come into salvation. Faith is everything. So it makes logical sense that your entire life of faith would be moves of faith. And they cannot be called moves of faith if you know exactly how everything is going to turn out along the way. I don't have to trust if I know everything. But I really have to trust if I don't have a clue what's coming up past the next step. And 100% of the time, he'll lead me down a path where I cannot see what's coming next. 
because he doesn't necessarily even care about the journey. He cares about the trust that grows within me along the journey. If I trusted him, he'd actually take me and push me about five miles down the road that I wouldn't have to walk while learning how to trust him. Okay, so uh, verse 10 He says, I'll come as you have asked to draw you to my heart and lead you out, for now is the time, my beautiful one. Almost done. Okay? This is my last page of notes. So, she asked to be revived. I know I'm giving a lot of review, but I just want to make sure we get this. He responds with the invitation to climb the mountain. She wanted to be revived. He longed to bring her to a place where she would never need to be revived again. She prays to be revived. He prays to get her out of the circumstance that made her have to cry out for revival. Okay, verse 17 says, Until the day springs to life and the shifting shadows of fear disappear, ascend without me. Hebrews 11 says this. I'm going to read two verses, then I'm done. If you actually want to go get some music uh, rocking and rolling, thank you, Ellington. Um, I wore a button-up shirt thinking I was going to look as cool as y'all today, and then y'all just show up way cooler anyway. So, you know, some people are just excited I wore a button-up shirt today. Um, Faith... Faith brings our hopes into reality, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Listen, faith brings our hopes into reality, hello, and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things that we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith brings our hopes into reality. In order for you to move from hope to reality, the path that you're going to have to take is faith. So all of us have a lot of dreams. But for those dreams to transition into reality, it's going to require us to take steps of what we call faith. Trust. Let me just read this and then I'm done. Proverbs 11, or excuse me, Proverbs 3. You don't have to turn there, uh, 5 through 10. This has been really, really messing with me this week. Super familiar, but listen. Trust in the Lord completely or with all your heart. And do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. There's some conviction for me right there. Don't think for a moment that you know it all, for wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion. And avoid everything that's wrong. Then you will find the healing refreshment for your body that your body and spirit long for. Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your very best, with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions on your own understanding. She wouldn't go with him because she feared the unknown. That's what she says. She says, until the shadows of fear disappear, go on without me. 
Everything, we're about to read it in the next few weeks, everything she had ever longed for in her entire life was on the other side of saying yes to climbing a mountain that she had no idea what was waiting for her on the other side. And I feel like some of us in the room today are right at the cusp of something extravagant and the thing that has kept us from making the transition from being on the cusp to being in the middle of something extravagant is a step of trust. And it's usually not just a step like this. It usually feels like you're on one side of the Grand Canyon and your fulfillment is on the other side of the Grand Canyon and you've just got to jump and know that he's going to take you the rest of the way. That's how faith feels. We call it a step of faith. I don't even know if that's legal to say because it does not feel like you're just doing this. It feels like you're jumping off a cliff hoping everything works out. But the thing that I've had to fix within me is a step of faith. And I've taught this before and I've taught it wrong. A step of faith is not jumping and then hoping everything works out. A step of faith is jumping knowing everything will work out. So that's why I say it wasn't a step of faith for us to start the church. I knew how it was going to work out. It's not a step of faith if you know. It becomes a step of faith, but the steps of faith become just steps when you know that he's good. So here, I, I sang the song, King of My Heart. On the way to tell where I worked before that we were starting the church, on the way there, over and over, you are good, you are good. You'll never let me down. You'll never let me down. You are good. You are good. You'll ne- and what I decided in my heart was that if he was actually good and if he would actually never let me down, there is no way I could fail. Did I write this in my notes? Please tell me I did. Psalm 62.2. You know what Psalm 62.2 says? There's no risk of failure with God. You literally cannot fail. What decisions are you not making right now because you're afraid of failure? That's called delusion. If you're in him, you can't fail. The idea of failure should flee from our minds. We are in him. We we belong as one with the one who defeated death. Not just a sickness, not just a job, not just a big step of faith. He defeated death itself. He not only called Lazarus out of a grave, he himself got out of a grave. And we are joined to him, the one that everything was created through, that nothing that came into being was created apart from. Jesus. And if we're joined to him, we should be people who are leaping and leaping and leaping and leaping without fear of failure. So glory to glory, this is how I'm going to end. Glory to glory is like this. You've, you've heard me teach this, and I meant to bring the whiteboard out, but it's okay. Glory to glory is like this. It's not just boom, 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 straight across. It's like a staircase, boom, boom, boom. And every step of glory, you're higher and higher and higher. Okay? To go from here to here. There's a gap. So how do you get from here to up here? It's faith. Faith faith is the substance in the middle that gets you from one level to the next. So if he's drawing you into a season where you've been praying for something and he's responded by asking you to take a step that does not make sense, I'm daring you to do it. So I mean, even going back to giving, some of you have never given before, I'm daring you to do it. Worst case, you'll lose 10% of your money. 
right? And if we're people that can't survive without 10% of our money, then there's a lot of other things that need to be fixed too. He's asking for something that shouldn't even be that big of a deal. Think about the exchange. You give me 10%, I'll give you 100%. If that's the stock market, sign me up tomorrow. Right? I'll give you 10 cents, you give me a dollar. I'll give you every amount of 10 cents I got. It's like that, that dong y'all keep talking about, about to kick in. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Lord, there goes the fear of the Lord. Um, let me just, I'm, I'm going to say this, and then we'll pray. Nothing is impossible for God, so nothing is impossible for us. As long as you're thinking in terms of possibility, He'll draw you to places where he'll prove your faith that says nothing is impossible for me because he loves me and because he's good. I've shared this with some people. I heard this last week, and it was the greatest thing I ever heard. Um, that somebody asked, it was Damon Tom, he was quoting somebody else, and I wish I could remember. I need to go back because I like giving people credit for what they say. But somebody said this, that somebody asked them one time, uh, what, what verse do you have that proves God still heals? Like, yeah, what, what proof? And the guy said, he loves me. Yeah, like, what, what, proof, what proof do you have that if I take this step or that if I give or that if I have this and I'm praying for him, what proof do you have? That's what people are around here. Like, hey, Josh, that was a great sermon. Could you send me 25 verses that proves everything you had to say? Nope. Sure can't. He loves me. I don't need to give you 25 verses. I can give you one. For God so loved the cosmos that he sent his only son, that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the cosmos, the cosmos included me, and it includes everything around me. If he so loved me that he was willing to give everything up to have me back, it is illegal for me to believe that if he will not withhold eternal life from me, that he would withhold temporary healing from me. That's illegal. You understand this? And, but this is how, man, I'm getting so fired up when we start talking about this. But this is how we think. We think that he's good enough. We think that he can give us eternal life. We don't think he can give me something temporary. You understand this? If I can throw a football 50 yards, I can throw it five. That's just that's science. That's just logic, right? Right? If he can save your eternal soul, then your temporary circumstance is absolutely nothing to him. I start talking about this stuff, and I could just feel the Lord just moving in me. I can feel something stirring in me when I start talking about this. He longs for his people to see him as he really is, which is good. Not just good, extravagantly good. David, taste and see. If you get a taste, you'll know. Taste and see that the Lord is good. David said, don't take my word for it. Go get you a taste. Do something crazy this week. I'm not saying do something stupid. I'm saying do something crazy. The Lord says go pray for somebody. Go do it. Worst case, you'll uh, just go pray for somebody else after. I mean, like what? You don't know what I'm saying? Like, what's the worst that could happen? I get healed. Um, the, seriously, I, the Lord puts on your, like, go pray for somebody this week. Go. Hey, maybe you should give a little more this month. 
give. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe you should get planted there. I, knew, I know you grew up here, and I knew you grew up in this tradition, and I know you grew up being taught this, but there's some kind of frequency that starts exploding on the inside of you when you walk in the doors. That frequency is getting rooted. You know what I'm saying? And the Lord is really, he's doing something in this place that I don't have language for. He's doing something on Tuesday nights I don't have language for. You know how hard it is to get people to show up to something on Tuesday night? And we barely even throw it out there that we're doing it, and everybody shows up. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's something different that's happening in here. And I'm telling y'all, if you will just get on this train and let him take you where he wants to take us, it's going to be very uncomfortable at some seasons because we'll start kicking back because how we grew up. I'm telling you, if we, if we could ever get amnesia to the first 20 years of our lives, we could do a lot for the Lord. That, I mean, that's what I, half the time I'm praying for people get amnesia. Lord, just stri- strike their memory from 20 and earlier, mine included, please. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's mostly a joke, but if we could ever move beyond, well, that's just, man, that's just how I grew up. You don't know, I was, I was taught this my whole life. What do you mean the Bible? Man, I was taught that my whole life. God doesn't speak anymore. Yeah, he does. That's the only way y'all got a message today. So, I mean, we're moving, we're, God is moving us, I'm praying, he's moving us beyond that. He's moving us beyond just, you know, well, give me 45 verses that says God speaks. No, he speaks. Right? And so we're moving beyond that, and now we're moving into the arena of his courts. We've entered his gates with thanksgiving. We're moving into his courts. His courts are not a courtyard. His courts are the king's courts that travel with him everywhere. If he's in the room, it's not just him. It's angels. It's seraphim. It's everybody that goes with him. That's his courts, the king's courts. We enter his courts with praise. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to wrap it up, but... uh. I just feel this discerning in my spirit as we pray that there are some decisions that we need to make differently, that he is calling us to ascend this mountain of devotion, this mountain of presence, this mountain Zion, the place of God. And if we can make that decision to take the steps that he wants us to take, we're going to find ourselves revived, refreshed, and with more. And so pray with me. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, that you would just begin to call us out and lead us to your mountain. I pray that right now, every step along the way, that we pray for something and you respond with something greater will be met with trust. So if we're praying for revival and you come with an invitation to take a hike, I pray that we'll put on our boots and start walking. I pray that we'll be such a people that whatever flows from your mouth, we know that your thoughts are higher than ours and your ways are higher than ours. So if I could just continue to follow along the path of your ways and your thoughts, I'll find myself on the mountain where I can begin to look down on in victory the things that I used to have to struggle with in the valley. You can grow in the valley because you're seated in heavenly places. So what he'll do is he'll draw you to the place where you'll stop seeing the valley you're in, and instead you'll start seeing the seat that you're seating on with him, seated on with him in heavenly places. 
And so, Abba, I pray that you would give us that perspective. I pray that you would allow people in this room to begin flowing in that perspective, that it doesn't matter what kind of wind comes our way, the fire never goes out. That our calling, our new calling in life, has more to do with keeping that flame going than what we can do in our talents and abilities. Because our talents and abilities will take us so much further if they're powered by the anointing of the flame that never goes out. Move us from the inside out. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus say the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. How I prove you more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust you more. So, Lord, we trust you as we leave this place. We trust in your name. It's in that name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about Dream Church, please visit www.dreamcolumbia.com. Have a great week.